Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. Today we will be beginning Book 8 of the Ascension edition of Confessions. This bonus episode is an introduction to the reflections that you'll hear for the next few days. If you'd like to hear some of our conversations on other subjects, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast Godsplaining. There, you'll find weekly episodes on a variety of Catholic themes with occasional guests, scriptural meditations, and special series. You can find Godsplaining with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplaining.org. All right, let's just go ahead and get started. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so at this stage of the game, you're probably thumbing through your edition of the Confessions, and you're thinking... I'm like, uh, I'm like getting on to halfway done this book, and I was told that this was the story of St. Augustine's conversion, but instead, all I've heard about is how St. Augustine is stuck. And then, this book opens up with another testimony to the fact that St. Augustine is stuck, and you're like, no! How many books will I have to wait for his great conversion? The answer is, no more books, because this is the book. This is the one. You have arrived. This is conversion book. So cheers to you. Cheers to us. Cheers to St. Augustine. So this is, <laughs> you You hear him, you know, give vent to the prayer, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. So this is the classic expression or kind of like distillation of his stuckitude. That's a new word. You can just take that straight to the bank. But it's a beautiful testimony that even on the threshold or even on the doorstep of his conversion, he comes to this experience of attrition. You know, you think about a war where two sides are ranged in either direction, you know, like in their trenches and neither can advance or even retreat and they're just dying. That's kind of like how he feels before sin and vice. It's like he's not making advances. No, he's not retreating. And maybe he's coming to like a deeper appreciation of this truth or I don't know, appropriation of this good, but it's just like he can't get out of the trench and he can't get across the no man's land. Or you might say it in another way, he can't pull himself up by his own bootstraps. So I think it's a beautiful way in which to set the stage for what is one of the most grandiose conversions in all of Christian history. So, Father Jacob Bertrand, uh, your thoughts on life in the trenches, attrition, no man's land, and the grace of God, which just comes into our life. Yeah, I have some thoughts, so I'll share them <laughs> uh, for you all. The, the labor you begin to feel as you've described Father Gregory, that we've, you know, we've gone through book one, two, three, four, five, six, seven with conversion almost there, but we have to wait until now, until book eight to get St. Augustine's conversion. There's kind of, yeah, you kind of have to like take a deep breath and be like, okay, buddy, come on. It's there. It's there. We're almost, you know, maybe, but the reality of life doesn't work like on our timing. And we see this in Augustine's life too, and experience in our own lives. It's, it's not on our time. It's on God's time. And I think 
in ways mysterious, in ways that we can somehow give some intelligibility to, the Lord allows us to sort of suffer through our own inability to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, as Father Gregory said, so as to be more reliant on his grace and to trust his grace and be conformed to it and and conformed by it. And we see this in St. Augustine's life, that as he's reflecting here and writing the confessions, that it is only in a surrender to our Lord that one you know, becomes a disciple, that one is moved by his grace. We can't force it or determine the metrics or the parameters on our own terms. And it's just a sort of, I think at every moment of conversion, there's just sort of like an exhaling of like, okay, fine. You know, it's like you win. I can't do it anymore. That sort of thing. I th- I've, I know I experienced that in my life at times, especially in like in discerning my vocation and fighting against that. And it's just like, okay, Lord, fine. Here we go. You know, on your terms. Here we go. So I imagine Saint Augustine experienced something similar at some point along the way, and particularly here. Yeah, I'm thinking of this particular passage in Saint Thomas Aquinas where he asks a series of questions. And the point of those series of questions is like, why did Christ come when he came? Like, why didn't he come right after our original sin? Or why didn't he delay his coming until the end of time? And you can give reasons why it might make sense for him to have done the one or the other. But but St. Thomas insists that he comes in the middle of time or in the middle of history. Because one, we needed sufficient time to appreciate fully how terrible was our state. Like, it took time for us as a human race to assume the posture of beggars. Not that like the Lord wants to debase us, but he wants us to experience to the very marrow of our bones how great is our infinite need. So that way we can formulate it as a petition and say like, Lord, I need you. Apart from you, I am nothing. And not just like because other people have said that or because it's like cute and pious to repeat that, but like literally nothing. <laughs> and then he says, but but he wants his coming to be an occasion for our healing and growth. He wants it to be an occasion for our conversion. And so there, there has to be time, at, or there doesn't have to be, but he chooses that there be time afterwards so that we can mature in that grace. Because it's not just about justification, which is kind of everything, but it's also about sanctification, which is also everything. Because we're meant not merely to be snatched from the jaws of death, we're also meant to grow in life so that we can give testimony to the glory of God and work for the salvation of souls. And so, yeah, the Lord comes at precisely the moment when it is best for us to recognize and to receive him in our lives, which is a great mercy, but we don't always sympathize with his timing because sometimes we wish it were yesterday or the day before or a thousand years ago, regardless. Okay, so another beautiful theme that we're gonna revisit throughout the course of this book is like stories of conversion and then their place in the Christian life and in our own conversion. Um, some of our secular contemporaries have seized upon this theme. I'm thinking of like, you know, in Hamilton, the stage play, the Broadway musical, which was then during the pandemic, you know, put out on Disney Plus. There's this kind of like repeated theme to tell the story of this man or otherwise we forget and we we don't appreciate. Um, and his wife, even though she's very hurt by him, this is Alexander Hamilton, the man to whom I'm referring, even though she's very hurt by him in a variety of ways, she finds the kind of grace uh, in secular terms to, to tell his story. And I think that we appreciate in the Christian fold how very good it is and how very transformative it is to tell the stories of those who have gone before us and have lived the life well. Not only because it's like, oh, wow, look, they did it. Cheers. Maybe we can do it. But in the sense that you recognize in their holiness and their particular grace and virtues, gifts of the Holy Spirit, how those are told forth in their concrete and particular lives, you can also see reflected back your own vocation 
in a certain way. Now you read some saints' lives and you're like, yikes, that is terrifying. God bless you, but may that never happen to me. Whereas other saints, you're like, holy smokes, I want to know and love the Lord that way. And so in St. Augustine's life, it's the telling of conversions, which which here in book eight kind of puts him over the edge. So I don't know what your experience is of that, of hearing the stories of saints or of telling the stories of saints and the transformation that you've witnessed in turn. Yeah, it's been, my experience has been kind of a double-edged sword with stories of conversion, whether it be with saints or people who, you know, who kind of give testimony to their own kind of conversion and, uh, you know, who are still living, you hear this all the time. And what I mean by a double-edged sword is, is, Father Gregory, you were kind of describing this, is that sometimes it just seems too far off or too strange or too different or too foreign. And either it's like, well, gosh, that's a little extreme or much or just unrelatable in ways. And it can kind of be a turnoff. And I think that's okay because it highlights two things. One, it highlights the reality that God works in sometimes strange ways or with strange or difficult or tough people or whatever it might be, but also that God is particular and his love is particular and that my conversion, um, God willing, it might not look exactly like somebody else's, though we can see similarities in them, but that that God loves in a particular way, you know, that he loves me as me and he loves Father Gregory, hopefully as Father Gregory and listeners as you. And, you know, so St. Augustine's conversion is his own and mine is my own but there is a sort of witness shared in that sort of cacophony or chorus or whatever of conversion that is, I guess, in the messiness of life, there's a beauty to the comfort of knowing that grace is being poured out in ways that are needed to be poured out, you know, as God knows. So, Yeah. A couple of concrete encouragements. One, read their stories. Two, tell your story. When it comes to read your stories, for me, it was, it was reading A Life of St. Thomas Aquinas, which made me want to be a Dominican, because... You know, I had had some thoughts and some desires along Dominican lines previously, but I didn't really recognize them until I read you know, the story of his life, charming book called The Quiet Light by Louis DeWall, which I've made mention of at other points in this podcast, uh, that author, I should say. And he, the one that he wrote about St. Augustine is called The Restless Flame, which is just like the Confessions, but a little less kind of complicated, kind of more for a young adult audience. Uh, but it was reading that book, which which just put me over the edge. And I started telling people that I wanted to be a Dominican priest having met zero Dominican priests except, you know, St. Thomas over the course of whatever, doesn't matter. But, um, and then the other thing is tell your story. And I think that there's, there's a need to be honest about your story because sometimes we can falsify our Christian experience in a way that alienates people. I think sometimes we want to sound important in the way that we recount our life of faith. So you might dress things up in a way that isn't entirely true, but just uh, reads better. So it's like, I was in prayer the other day and the Lord was telling me this, that, and the other thing. It's like, was he really telling you that? Like, I don't doubt that the Lord speaks to you in prayer, but how did you experience it? Because the way that I experience typically is I, I sit down in the chapel and I say, Lord, I am sad and I am angry and I will be here for the next 59 minutes. So let me know if there's any marching orders that you want to communicate. You know, so it, it, for me, it's just not very romantic. It's not exotic in any way, shape or form. Now, occasionally the Lord breaks through that and communicates his love with a kind of sovereign power, but that's rare. My, my prayer life is boring. And I think it's part of my telling my story to recount that because I think people who have boring prayer lives can see their own experience in mine and be encouraged like, oh, all right, maybe that's not an indication that I am hell bound and 
well, I don't know what it means, but maybe that's something that I can work with at the very least. So I, I would say, you know, be honest in telling your story. All right, let's take a little turn here. So in, in the final minutes that we have of this, this bonus introductory episode, we have this incredible conversion scene, uh, which really kind of dominates book eight, where we'll hear it recounted in, in turn, in line, uh, where St. Augustine takes up, you know, he is told by a voice to take up and read, having heard a story of two monks who entered a monastery, you know, very close to his own situation, and that he picks up the sacred page and he reads this powerful passage, which tells him not in reveling and in drunkenness, dot, dot, dot. And then he sees his own experience in the word of God, and that's what it takes to push him over the edge. And Olympus is like, hey, where you go, I follow, buddy. And then that that has a huge effect in his life and in the life of the church. Um, so Father Jacob Bertrand, you know, God's planning, we do Lexio Divina's during penitential seasons and then sometimes in the season of Easter. But, you know, we're, we're encouraged throughout the course of our religious life to engage with the sacred page as the living word of God, which is, you know, it's effective. It, it pierces between soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to discern the reflections and thoughts of the heart. So what are your thoughts about this and its enduring place in the life of the church? Yeah, the scriptures, as we, as you rightly said, are the living word of God and living because in our encounter with them, we encounter the word himself, who is Jesus Christ, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it is the case that the Holy Spirit works through our encounter with the Holy Word. So, you know, we can be, if we read scripture, which we should highly recommend, you know, there can be times or passages that it's not really speaking in other times and passages when, when it really is moving us. And it's different. I think we can have this experience with other types of, of writing and reading, but the reality is, and God can use us to communicate his grace, but the reality is, is that the scriptures are the word of God, you know, God revealing himself to us. And as we've talked about in other episodes, God desires to be known. So he reveals and he's chosen to do so through, in part, the sacred word. So there's there's sort of like a living effectiveness even in the sacred page that we should... Um, that we shouldn't doubt, I guess, to say when when we read it, when we give ourselves to it, that somehow, whether or not we recognize it in the moment and have this sort of conversion moment, or we recognize it later, that that it's an opportunity or an occasion of grace in our lives. Yeah. And listeners, insofar as you're listening to an Ascension podcast, you're probably accustomed to hear many voices which commend the reading of sacred scripture, like Father Mike Schmitz, or like Jeff Cavins, or Ted Shree, or others besides. Um, so you know, just take this as, as further commendation of the sacred page, not because it's like a nice relic of our Christian past, but because it's the inspired word of God, whereby the Holy Spirit continues to hover over the waters of our heart and bring forth from that chaos something orderly and good, a new creation, in fact. All right, so final thoughts. You know, St. Augustine has been resisting grace now for seven books. I mean, he's been resisting grace for nigh unto 40, 45 years. <laughs> and then here he he gives way to it or he gives into it or however we want to describe. He consents to and cooperates with it. That's just, it's such a slight difference. And yet it makes a world of difference. So for those who might find themselves on the threshold of the next step in their journey of faith or a deeper dive into the life of prayer, any words of encouragement as to how they can, like St. Augustine, consent and cooperate in the way that God wills? Yeah, and the first thing that pops into my mind is just to sort of surrender, to let go, not in the sense of, of like losing yourself, but in the sense of recognizing that it's okay to give ourselves to God and whether that be through something as sort of mundane of like 
going to confession or going through like a RCA process or whatever it might, you know, like whatever, wherever we find ourselves or wherever we are in our sort of journey to Christ of just kind of letting go. I mentioned earlier in the episode, this sort of like, okay, Lord, kind of like, all right, you win kind of thing. Um, I think we have to do that a lot in our lives because we like to protect ourselves and crowd and sort of build a sort of bunker around ourselves. And we have to allow the Lord to sort of crack into that. So that, that comes, at least for me, being a very type A, like organized, whatever person, like sometimes I just have to recognize that I don't make the schedule for my salvation. God makes that schedule. I can make other schedules, but it's kind of like, okay, Lord, you win, take me in this and take me away in this. And yeah, there can be a, a great kind of yeah relief and, and beauty in, in sitting in that. So I encourage that for others. Boom. And as the Lord moves us along the way, he'll reveal to us what does, you know, pose an obstacle or represent a hindrance. And I think that we can take those things to prayer. So maybe it's unforgiveness or resentment. Uh, maybe it's fear. Maybe it's just crippling anxiety. But whatever it is, you can always take it to prayer and say, Lord, I am angry. Lord, I am sad. Lord, I am anxious. Lord, I am resentful. Lord, I whatever it is. And then just simply say, heal me, grow me. And then when you find yourself drifting in the direction of imagining, you know, how you're going to get, you know, vengeance or how you're going to execute justice or how you're going to whatever, you know, like cause all those who have caused you harm to feel something similar in turn, then you just have to chasten those thoughts, discipline those thoughts, and just cover those thoughts in the Lord's precious blood. Lord Jesus Christ, I cover myself in your most precious blood, and I bind and send to the foot of the cross this spirit of whatever it is that you might do with it there what you will. Just simple things so that you can just continue to ask the Lord, invite the Lord into it, that he can do with your heart what he wills. All right. We are looking forward to reading book eight with you. Heck, we're looking forward to reading the rest of this entire, you know, confessions with you. So know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics.